Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife, a mom of seven, and alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all in family ministry. I'm passionate about making Christ and his church famous, and I'm also passionate about seeing people read the entire word of God and let that be the guiding compass in their life. The purpose of this podcast is to point people toward that spiritual discipline, and in season one, One, we did this by answering objections. Why do you think you don't need to read the entire Bible? And we found through looking at the Bible that, in fact, we do. Now, in this season, season two, we have taken on questions from listeners and viewers, and we are doing our very best to answer those questions using the entire Word of God. So in today's episode, we are going to deal with the unseen war that is raging all around us. And I'm going to begin by asking this question exactly as it was posed to us, and it was like this. Our friend Lauren asked, the battle being waged in the spiritual realm, angels, demons, God, the devil, etc., where do we fit into all this? Now, Stacy and I love this question, mm-hmm. and it's a very big question, so we're actually going to break this episode into two parts. What you hear today is going to be part one, and here we're going to examine accounts about spiritual warfare from the Old Testament. Right. Then in next week's episode, we're going to look at accounts and teaching about spiritual warfare from the New Testament. And there's actually a biblical reason that we're going to break the episode down this way. I believe that Scripture shows us that there is a marked difference in the spiritual war that we see in the Old Testament and in what we see in the New Testament. And we're going to touch on that at the end of this episode, and we'll dig a little deeper into it next week in part two when we look at the New Testament. For now, though, we're going to look at some Old Testament narratives that teach us some principles about spiritual warfare, about what is going all around us that we can't see. Right. And Stacy, if you'll take a minute, introduce yourself in case anyone's watching for the first time, and then bring us into this first Old Testament account. I sure will. Thank you so much, Tina. So my name is Stacy Vines. I am also a mom, a homeschool mom, a Bible teacher, and I am just thrilled to be a part of this podcast in this season of Stepping Through Scripture with all all of you. Tina and I have been stepping through scripture for a very long time. This is not a new conversation for the two of us to be talking about this topic today. So I'm super excited to jump right into it. It is a lot. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to grab a pen and paper because we're, we're going to step through a lot of scripture yes. to get us there. Um, and to get us on this path, we are going to start uh, on this path of looking at spiritual warfare in the Old Testament. Specifically, we're going to start with a very familiar account in the Old Testament in the book of Job. And this is where we're going to get started. So we've talked a lot about the book of Job so far in season one, specifically in episode four, which yes. was one of my favorites from ep- from season one, but that was titled, I Prefer Topical Studies. So if that's an objection that you've had to reading scripture um, up until now, or maybe you still hold on to that of reading scripture from start to finish, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode four from last season. So uh, what you're going to find there is that the book of Job is also going to be of interest to you, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that. To get us started, we're going to open up Job chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 6 through 12 to give us good context, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a passage that's full of imagery, so we can really kind of take a view at what God is doing. So we'll start on uh, verse 6. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. So we see a spiritual realm 
with all of the things that hit this question that's been presented. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flock and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well. Everything that he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Then again, we see in chapter two, Satan approaches God to even further accuse Job um, for not only just being faithful because of what God is doing for him, the protection and the blessings, uh, but we see that Satan incites God even to strike Job physically because Job was still faithful in spite of Satan's attack, in spite of this loss of protection, this hedge of blessing, as even Satan called it. We see that Satan comes back again to accuse him and asks permission or asks God to strike Job physically. So here is the objective and the point when we're looking at this very first account in the Old Testament of this spiritual warfare, this spiritual battle. The objective of Satan was to lie and accuse man. This is still his objective. It was also to bring harm upon him. And it was specifically a man who was faithful to God. This is something that we can learn for ourselves as we consider this topic of spiritual warfare. The enemy, the one who is against us, uh, he seeks to harm us, lie against us, accuse us, and ultimately wants to knock out the way in which we walk, which is faithful with God. The next account that we see from the Old Testament, that was the example of the one who comes to uh, accuse us. Now we see in the book of Second Kings, we look at the life of Elisha, specifically Second Kings in the sixth chapter. And this is uh, really, really good enough to warrant us reading the entire account. Um, so put on your imagination glasses as we walk through this together or open up uh, your text and read it along. We're gonna hit 2 Kings chapter six, verses eight, all the way to 23. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set my camp in such and such place. And the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing at that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? So just to interject here, this king is enraged because his plan continues to be overthrown because somebody, in his opinion, is leaking the information. Right. But really what's happening is Elisha, this prophet of God who walks along the king of Israel um, to be the mouthpiece of God, is giving him the details he needs to protect and preserve Israel. Right. So we'll pick back up in, in verse 12. They say, none of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. 
Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh my, my Lord, what shall we do? This servant asked. And here's Elisha, the prophet. Uh, Here's what he says in response. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha, Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man that you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. So again, we see Elisha, this man of God, now, instead of being overthrown by this enemy, he sees the spiritual support all around him yes. in the in the view of these fiery chariots filling the, heel, the hills around them. And he prays for God to strike them with blindness. And then he leads this entire army who's coming to get him. He leads them to a totally different city. And here's what it says happened, picking up in verse 20. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and they were there inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elijah, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? And here's what he said, 22. Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you had captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands of the Arman or the, of the Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. There are so many excellent principles that we could pull from that, from the example of Elisha, who recognized the spiritual warfare that he was actually in. And instead of being overcome with fear, asked God to demonstrate his power, even so his servant could see, and then ended up preparing a feast for those who were coming to destroy him. So here we have on the other side of the unseen battle that we are all participating in, uh, from what we read in the book of Job, where we learned that the unseen adversaries are accusing us and, and seeking to do us harm, here we see that we have unseen defenders, a defense system who is protecting us even from physical harm the way that Elisha saw it. So we have this image of Job who is in this unseen realm being accused and slandered yes. and even sought to to be physically harmed. And then we see here Elisha in the unseen realm has this host of defense who brings him to a place where he can actually show kindness to his enemy. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Incredible view into the spiritual realm, what we can't see with our physical eyes of the two sides that are going on here. But what is our significance in all this, right? That's what our friend Lauren wants to know. Where do we fit in to all of this stuff that's going on that we can't actually see? So to get some insight about that, we're going to go to the book of Daniel chapter 10. 
So Daniel is given prophecies about what was going to occur with the exiled Hebrew people, that was his people and the surrounding nations, with incredibly precise accuracy. Mm -hmm. Daniel is amazing how things that were going to play out were foretold to him in extreme detail. Right. That was completely historically accurate. So Daniel chapter 10 is the introduction to what's probably the most detailed and specific of the prophetic visions that Daniel receives in this whole book. And here, here's the context of what's happening to bring us into this chapter. The Jewish people, which is Daniel's people, they're exiled under Persian rule. So they had originally been conquered and sent into exile by the Babylonians in 586 BC. And then Babylon, who was ruling over them, was conquered by Persia. And that's a transition of power that we read about at the very end of Daniel chapter 5. So Daniel then receives this vision of what's going to happen to his people and his response to that vision. And then heaven's response to Daniel Mm -hmm. is what we have recorded in chapter 10 leading up to the revelation of this prophetic vision that he's received. So we're going to just read several passages from Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of this message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Now, what we've seen so far is Daniel says he's received a very troubling vision and he doesn't know what it means. But his response to receiving that vision was that for three weeks he fasted from food and also from Mm self-care. That was Daniel's response to a troubling vision that he did not understand. Now, here's the response from heaven to Daniel's fasting. We're going to pick up in verse four. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphrates around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice sounded like the sound of a multitude. Mm -hmm. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. So Daniel receives this vision, he begins fasting, and then heaven's response to Daniel's fasting is that God sends an angel to visit and to speak to Daniel. Now, this is interesting because this angel's description in Daniel is very much like the description that we find of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. But before this angel speaks to Daniel about the revelation of the vision that Daniel has seen, what does this whole prophetic vision mean? He is going to explain to Daniel the timing of his coming to him in response to Daniel's fast. And this is going to give us a, a very unique view of the spiritual war that we can't see. Sure. So in verse 10, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. So hold on to that, what he said so far. And then let's continue verse 12. 
Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind Mm -hmm. to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, that's when he started fasting, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So Daniel hasn't even received the revelation of the vision yet. But he's learned a lot. He's learned a lot. Two major things I want us to recognize from what we just read. Our original question was this unseen battle. Right. Where do we fit into all of it? Well, an amazing thing here is this messenger, this angel who comes to Daniel, actually tells him what his standing is in this whole thing. He says to Daniel, you are seen and you are heard and you are highly favored. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk more about that in just a few minutes. But that is Daniel's standing in the midst of this battle that's raging. And then regarding the unseen battle, here's here's a principle that we learn about it, and we're going to dig more into it, is that not only are there adversaries who are seeking our harm, like we saw in the book of Job, right? and not only are there advocates who are seeking to protect us, like we saw in 2 Kings, But those two sides are actually fighting against one another outside of our awareness, but on our behalf. And our defenders are not only protecting us, but they're also strengthening us. I think that's huge. Listen to this next part in verse 15. Daniel speaking here, while he, the angel, was saying this to me, Mm -hmm. I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Mm -hmm. Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Now, often we might wish we could see into the spiritual realm Mm -hmm. and know what's going on. But I want you to sit with the impact that this had on Daniel. He couldn't even breathe. Mm -hmm. He could hardly speak or breathe because what he was seeing was so overwhelming. In verse 18, again, the one who looked like a man touched me and he gave me strength. Do not be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, he said, peace, be strong now, be strong. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me the strength. So this messenger comes from God, mm-hmm. a messenger that that we would not be able to see, that he would normally not be able to see. And that only he saw. That only he saw. Mm-hmm. In response to his prayer and fasting, this messenger comes, he reassures Daniel, he strengthens Daniel, and then he's about to give Daniel understanding. But after he does that, Mm -hmm. he tells Daniel, I'm going to have to return to the battle. Right. And that's what we're talking about here. What's going on that we can't see? What does this battle look like? Listen to the rest of this passage, verse 20. So he said, do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me except Michael, your prince. So... 
This messenger from God, this angel who sounds very much like Jesus Christ in his description, is fighting against the prince of Persia, and he says, then the prince of Greece will come. So it's clear at this point that there is something spiritual and something physical happening simultaneously here. In the physical realm, here's what we know. He's fighting against the prince of Persia. We know that Persia was the power that was ruling over God's people at the time that this thing happened with Daniel. We also know as a historical fact that the Persian Empire was conquered by the Grecian Macedonian Empire in 331 BC. So the literal king of Greece, right? Because this messenger is saying next the king of Greece will come. The literal king of Greece was specifically Alexander the Great. And that was the power that would next rule over God's people. Again, things are foretold to Daniel with incredible accuracy before they even happened. So that's what's happening in the physical realm. But obviously, there's a much bigger spiritual truth here, Mm -hmm. because if a celestial power, if an angel were just being faced with an earthly king, an earthly power, I think we would assume that the supernatural would easily overcome the natural. Sure. And yet... This angel is coming to Daniel saying there's actually been some some sort of a struggle involved because from the time three weeks ago, 21 days ago, that you started praying and humbling yourself and fasting, your your prayers were heard on high. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've been delayed. Right. I wanted to come to you, but I've been detained with this power. So I think it's clear that this angel is being obstructed by Daniel by more than merely a human king. Mm -hmm. What it seems is that this king who is subjugating God's people, this Persian king, he himself is being upheld by greater spiritual forces Mm -hmm. who are actually opposing God and his people. And I think without that, we can mystify this without maybe looking at it through real life lenses, right? And recognizing that this prince of Persia was a was a a a fall a fallen human being who was uh, suffering from idolatry and hatred and prejudice and all the things that the human race still suffers with, and all of those things are being uplifted and supported by this demonic realm that could have been what was delaying this angel, this messenger from coming to Daniel, um, because he's there working on behalf of God's people to be their advocate, to be their defender, all of the things that we saw in in the other parts of the Old Testament. And something just to highlight that point of um, idolatry and and all of these uh, sinful ways of man, the things that are naturally found in the human heart, um, in the human desire— Paul actually speaks to, which I know this episode is not about the New Testament, but we are going to visit Paul for just a moment as a side note. Paul speaks to this. He talks about false gods or idols, pagans, which, you know, we should identify the 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 leaders of Persia, the leaders of of uh, all of the Greeks, they were pagans. And so here's what Paul says. He calls them demons in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 18 to 22. He says, "Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No." But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of the demons. We are, are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? 
I love how Paul uses so many words to say this thing. He's basically saying you cannot walk with the wicked and with idolatry and in the ways of God. Um, what he, what we, what we want to convey that Paul is is trying to say here is these demonic forces can come alongside our um, idolatry, our self-vanity, our self-ambition, our, our own personal desires, and and it can elevate us. And it looks like real-life things. Yeah. It looks like material things. It looks like self-gain. And it manifests itself, and it doesn't necessarily look demonic on the outside. Right. But it is demonic, and Paul clearly aligns it with that. So in our original question, where do we fit in all of this? Here's something that we need to know. Here's something that we need to use as we walk out life in spiritual warfare. Demonic forces are able to empower physical forces like the king of Persia, Mm -hmm. like you and me, by aligning with our idol worship. And we all participate in idol worship. Um, It's selfish ambitions, these desires of men like we've been talking through. And while there's not a lot of information about it, uh, we have to caution ourselves not to fill in our own speculations with the blanks that we find. And we're going to talk a lot about that as we talk about spiritual warfare. But just to hone in on this, uh, there's a lot of theories and conspiracies that you can find about spiritual warfare that can be long rabbit holes that might retract us from the big, important parts of this, yes. which you are going to lay out really well for us, that there is a choice that we make in this spiritual warfare. And like we talked about in the episode last week with the Nephilim, if we want a conspiracy theory, there are plenty of YouTube episodes that can take us down their their rabbit holes. But for right now, we're just going to stick right in scripture as we step through it true to this podcast. So while we would love to learn a lot more about these specifics, about spiritual powers and how they work in our behalf and against us, what we're going to do is sit right where what the Bible says, and let it be just as the Bible says. I think instead of filling in those blanks um, where the Bible doesn't have an, an answer here, we should focus on what we do know. Yeah. And what we do know is, like in the account of Daniel, we have weapons in this war. We have prayer and fasting, and that is what drew the attention and the response of heaven. I absolutely love how we stepped through that account of Daniel. Beautiful um, and so powerful and such a, um, a a hand toss to the power of prayer and fasting and being faithful. There is so much more that we could say about it. And we probably should do a future episode on the power of prayer and fasting. Yes. I would like that so much. But outside of what we can do, which is to pray and to fast, the rest really is a matter of our faith. And just like we've talked about in past episodes, what God wanted from the nation of Israel was their complete trust. He wants that from us as well. If Scripture says that He is fighting on our behalf, then we have to trust that. If Scripture says or alludes that demonic forces can, can align with our idolatry and our wicked ways, then we have to believe that. And overall, In this spiritual warfare, we have to decide which side of the battle are we going to be on. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Something that we've talked about before, Stacey, is that while this can all be very fascinating, the truth is that if if we could see the spiritual battle that is raging all around us, if we knew just how much 
we are being protected from, yeah. we would probably be frightened by it. If seeing an advocate, if mm-hmm. seeing someone who was there to reassure and to strengthen and to empower brought Daniel down to the point that he felt like he couldn't breathe, yeah. imagine if we could see all of the forces of hell that would that would seek to come against us on the very rare occasion that I've gotten a view after the fact right. of something that I was protected from when I didn't even know it was happening, whether it was something meant to personally harm me or something meant to harm the Lord's church. I have been both very grateful mm-hmm. and very humbled mm-hmm. when I've understood just how not in control of this whole thing I really am. Right. It definitely is a matter of faith, and it's God looking for us instead of uh, coming up with all kinds of theories mm-hmm. about what this battle looks like that we can't see, just having faith that that the God who we can't see is combating the forces against us that we can't see. Sure. So let's just recap for a minute what we've learned so far specifically about this question, our place mm-hmm. in the unseen battle. From the account of Job, we learned that there are unseen forces of evil that are accusing us, that are seeking after our harm. But the good news there is that we see in the account of Job is that those forces can only do harm within the bounds of what God allows. Right. He sets boundaries for them. Mm-hmm. The next thing we learned from the account of Elisha is that there are unseen forces of God that surround us and Mm -hmm. they protect us and strengthen us against attacks by those who mean to oppose God and his people. And sometimes those are physical powers or people who are held up or empowered by demonic forces. Right. And then from the account of Daniel, we learn that these forces, uh, either on the side of God or on the side of evil, are warring over us. Mm-hmm. But the important thing that that you've kind of alluded to already that we need to recognize here is that we are not just um, pawns in this battle mm-hmm. with it raging around us while we kind of wait to see where the chips will fall. What Daniel shows us is that we have an active role in what we don't see. Yeah. We have weapons, we have prayer, we have fasting, and ultimately, like you said, we have to choose a side. Yeah. And it's either going to be God's side or Satan's side, and we're going to dig more into that in part two of this episode when we look at New Testament accounts next week. For now, though, I want to close part one of this spiritual warfare topic with this. Zechariah chapter 12 and 13. This is a section that talks about the coming of Christ and a great change he would accomplish. We said at the beginning of this episode, we're breaking it down into Old Testament and New Testament intentionally because we believe that there is a turning point Mm -hmm. in the unseen war that we're talking about that happened with Christ's victory over sin and death. And I think that turn is actually what prompts this question because it's so different now than what we see in the Old Testament. So breaking it apart this way gives us a really clear view of the change. And I think it's why it makes us question, where are we in all of that? Because we don't necessarily see it the way that we read it from the past. Right, absolutely. So Zechariah chapter 12 This um, gives us a prophecy of Christ's crucifixion, of the people looking on and mourning for the one who they pierced. And then I want you to listen to the opening of Zechariah chapter 13, just after this account of Christ's crucifixion. It begins with, on that day, 
on what day? Well, we will look back at chapter 12 on the day that Christ made his sacrifice. Right. On the day that he was pierced, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. On that day, I will banish the names of the idols from the land. And this is great that you tied this idolatry, idol worship. Well, Paul tied it. Mm -hmm. You just pointed it out to demonic forces. Right. So he says, on that day, I will banish the names of the idols from the land and they will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. I will remove both the prophets and the spirit of impurity from the land. That's verses one and two. Now, that's kind of an obscure note for us to end this episode on, but we're going to dig into it and see the turnaround of that Mm -hmm. in the New Testament a little bit more next week. For now, though, what we want to point out is that Christ's resurrection, his victory over sin, marked a turning point in the unseen war. Not only has he opened a fountain Mm. for the final cleansing from sin, like we just read in Zechariah in this prophecy, and we talked a lot about the opening of that fountain in last season, this full and final covenant Mm -hmm. where sin can be not just rolled over, but can be remitted and washed away once and for all in that fountain. Not only did God do that, to remove sin completely. But he also, what he says here, is bound the forces of evil because he has power over them. And yet, not all are bound because we're talking about a very real war that exists. We are still in a spiritual battle. And we'll talk more about that next week, this war that is still raging, Mm -hmm. even in our new covenant context. But suffice to say for now, If we're worried about our position in this whole thing, there is no question about who has the upper hand. Right. And to get us uh, halfway through this is is to just look and self-assess, which side of this am I on? Yes. Am I questioning this uh, position in this battle because I am curious about the mysterious aspects of it or... Are you ready and eager and willing to walk out what's coming next, next week, when it, what it looks like to actually get in the battle and yes. be awake in the battle and active in the battle um, instead of a bystander? And so it's a choice. Am I going to participate um, on the Lord's side of this battle? And that looks like being the church. It looks like being in the word. Um, and uh, Or am I going to be on the side of Satan where I practice idolatry and self care and self-vanity and self-ambition and my selfish desires? Am I just going to look out for self? Um, Because that will lend you on the opposite side of that battle. And that's a huge truth, is that's all we have to do to land on the other side, is just be self-absorbed. And it can happen tomorrow. Yeah. And it does not have to look like any crazed version Mm -hmm. of demon worship or demonic possession that we may have seen in sci-fi movies. Well, I think that's such a good point for everyone listening, long-term Christian or brand new into this idea of reading your Bible all the way through. What we have created in in modern culture of this idea of Satan and demons and what they look like, and I don't doubt for a moment that they are petrifying Sure, um, and, and not anything that we want to see, like we've already stated in this episode. But I think if we're just looking for that, we'll miss if we are actually engaged in it Yes, with this self-seeking uh, spirit, right? This right. attitude of self-seeking that um, will lend us to that idolatry that Paul talked about. Um, and then we're sitting in the position of, are we stronger than God? Right. Are we really going to test God in that? 
So yes. a lot of the things that we've talked about today have come directly from your book, Step Into Scripture. It's the point of this whole podcast. It's how we connect Old Testament uh, foreshadowing with New Testament realities. A lot of uh, what we've walked through today, Tina has already laid the groundwork to pin together for us so that we don't miss any ounce of goodness in God's Word, which is a banner that I often fly, and it's why I love this book so much. You can pick up this resource at, on Amazon. It's published by Renew.org, and I highly suggest it. Get it. Start a group. Start on your own. Have that open-ended commitment to read God's Word from start to finish. Thank you so much, Stacy, And thank you all for joining us this week. We look forward to coming back next week because we've ended here on a cliffhanger. Yeah. There's been a turning point in a war with Christ's resurrection, and we're going to dig into what that means for us and where we land in that under Christ's new covenant next week. So we'll see you back then. See ya.